Today's a great day. You know, I've had a bit of an up and down week. Um, and anyone who is married knows that those are normal weeks. Um, sometimes you're up and sometimes you're down and sometimes you're both at the same time and you're not sure whether you're up or down. Um, I've had those weeks. My wife and I still work through our issues often, um, but we come out the other side. And, and the reason we come out the other side, we know and have known for some considerable time that we're a three-stranded cord. There's my wife, there's me, and in the center is God. And that when tough times come, we can rely on the goodness of our Heavenly Father. We can rely on prompting. We can re- rely on discipline. We can, not a nice word that I, we don't like the discipline bit, but we can rely on it. And it's for us. It's for our good. Yesterday, and this is just an aside, it's not even here, but yesterday we met some people who had some electric-powered bicycles. That sounds like a bit of an enigma, doesn't it? A bicycle that's electric-powered, is it really a bicycle? Well, yeah, it's got two wheels and they go around. But they offered us the opportunity to have a try on these things. So we went down to where they were camping, and they're not just bicycles that you hit a switch and they go. You actually have to pedal them. So they're power-assisted. So you jump on, and you start to pedal, and then if you come to an incline, I went up a hill that was like that. The bottom line is that as I started to pedal, and the bike sensed resistance, the motor kicked in, and away it went. And I still had to pedal, but it was so much easier. I wanted a bigger hill. I wanted to have another shot. But my point is this. It's like that with God. You know, don't expect to push the button and things are just going to be wonderful. No, 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 no. You've got to do some peddling. You know, God wants you to assist him. He'll assist you, but this is a two-way street. This is not just about God doing everything and you standing by. This is about you doing some peddling. Take care of it yourself. Ask God for his help. But it's about you and him, not just him and not just you. And that had nothing to do with what I'm going to talk about today other than God was in it. But I heard a story about a man who was walking on the beach at Ahipara on a beautiful day. You know, wind blowing dust and dirt, Ahipara on a good day. Um, <laughs> and... Okay, you Westies, put your hand up. I know you're here. Anyway, uh, anyway, he's walking on the beach at Ahipara, and he's talking to God. He's a faithful man. And he says, God, you know, I've been faithful. I've done everything you've wanted me to do. I've kept you in my life. I've kept you as a central focus. And I, I, I'd just love you to grant me one wish, that you would just let me have one of my heart's desires, and he's walking along, and next thing God says, yes, what is your heart desired, my son? And he says, a lot of my family have left this place, and they've gone to Australia, and, and, and I just would really love that you could build a bridge from Ahipara to Australia, a 
across the Tasman Sea, that I could just go whenever I liked. And he waited. And then God replied and he said, Son, think this through. The Tasman Sea is thousands of meters deep in places. The concrete, the steel, the effort and the man-made resources that it would require are significant. Isn't there another thought, another wish, another desire that may bring more honor to me? And so so the man said, So the man thinks and he says, God, I wish I could understand women. What they feel, how they think, what they mean when they say nothing. And most of all, God, how to make a woman happy. And he waited. And he walked. And he waited. And he walked. And then God answered him. And he said, Laniera, how many lanes did you want on that bridge? It's got nothing to do with what I'm going to talk about today, but I just thought I'd open up with a bit of humor and lighten the mood because some of what you're going to hear today might not tickle your ears. It might give them a bit of a tuning. And you know, sometimes God wants to do that with us. He wants us to actually tune into what he's saying. It might not be that nice for us, but it's all for our own good. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you that we can come together this morning as a fellowship. Lord, we thank you that we are your heart's desire. Lord, we thank you that as we come together, we come for one purpose only, and that's to hear your word go forth. Isaiah 55 and 11 decrees, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth that shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. Lord, I just pray that the word that goes forth this morning, your word, touches the hearts and the minds of all of those gathered here under the sound of my voice. And I pray, Lord, that it achieves your purpose, your will, this day in Jesus' name. Amen. So, if I was to ask everyone here why you came to church this morning, I'm sure there'd be a host of answers. Why are you in Church Unlimited? Oh, I love Pastor Tark, or, you know, I, I love the preaching, I love the praise and worship, uh, the supper's not bad either, um, I just want fellowship, I want to meet my friends here, I want to have fun here, I enjoy the presence of God. And all of these are great reasons to be here in Church Unlimited on Sunday. Don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with any of those answers. They're all perfectly fine. But the fact is that the reason we are here and the reason we need to acknowledge we're here is a person, a person named Jesus, our Lord and Savior, the King of kings and Lord of lords, the sacrificial Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, the author and finisher of our faith, And what he did for you and I at Calvary Church today, I want to do just one thing. I want to glorify and honor the name of Jesus, the name above every name. That's the purpose of being here today. And today, how better to do that than through the most famous of the Psalms, 
written by Israel's greatest king and psalmist, King David. A man after God's own heart is how he's described in the Bible. Some time ago, my wife showed me a description of the 23rd Psalm that immediately resonated in my spirit. And I want to share it with you today as we seek Jesus in an Old Testament word, as we seek Jesus in the 23rd Psalm. And my message today is simply titled, Jesus in Psalm 23. You know, when David wrote this, he was holed up in a cave, the cave of Adullam. He was being sought by King Saul and his army. He was already anointed to be the next king, but he faithfully allowed the king's, the, the Lord's king, Saul, to remain in power. He had the opportunity to take him out, but he never did. He remained faithful to the Lord. And, and he wrote this psalm at a time when he was probably at the lowest in his life, when everything had gone against him. He'd been driven out. He'd been in a cave. He had what we know as the, the, the 3D army, 300 men, had joined him in the cave, and they were being sought by Saul for one purpose, and that is to kill him. And David wrote this amazing psalm. The first line says, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. And that's relationship. You know, Jesus is about relationship. A shepherd is always looking after and watching over his flock. He's never far from them. He's always close by. And our good shepherd, our Lord, will never leave us nor forsake us. His word tells us that. It's a promise. He desires to grow his relationship with each and every one of us. Every day through prayer and through his word, he wants to be closer to each of us, leading and guiding us through his Holy Spirit that dwells within us. Remember, he's always there. There's an old saying, and, and I quote it often. It says, you won't know Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you've got. When you're at your lowest point, just as David was, you'll know the Lord. You'll know his hand in your life. You'll know that his spirit resonates within you because you have an overcoming power that's unnatural and indescribable. I shall not want. You know, that's supply. Jesus is your supply. The Bible says in Philippians 4 and verse 19 that my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory. Have you ever pondered what the riches of the Lord are? The creator of the universe. Think about that. His riches. Everything that is on this earth, he created. On it, in it, around it, through it. And it's his riches and glory that we have access to. Friend, God knows your every need. And through this scripture, he promises to meet them. Every single one of them. Now, there's a catch. Don't try to convince the Lord that you need a Lamborghini. Don't try and convince the Lord that your Ferrari is an absolute need today. No, he's not buying that. It's your needs he promises to meet and not your wishes. And those needs will be met in accordance with his plans and his purposes. His will for your life. You know, when he decides, he provides. That's it. Simple. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. Jesus is our rest. 
Psalm 37 and verse 7 says, Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. And Matthew 11, verse 29 and 30 tells us, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. You know, I often hear people say, when asked about their walk and what they're doing and whether they think that they're meeting God's will for their life, I often hear them say things like, oh, I'm just waiting for Jesus. I'm waiting for that direction. I'm praying for his guidance. None of those things are wrong, but rest is not about inactivity. God's rest is about activity. It's about acknowledging and having faith in him. When you rest in the Lord, you have faith that no matter what it is, he's got it. That's resting in the Lord. Your problem might not go away today. You might have to do something to overcome it. But the fact is that when you have faith that you have that overcoming, he will overcome. He will overcome in you. Remember, you'll find rest when you learn from Jesus. When you are gentle and humble, you rest, he works. One of my favorite prayers, and I have to tell you that um, I, I have prayed it often, and I continue to. And it's simple. It says, Lord, I know I can't, but I have faith that you can. I can't, but you can. He leadeth me beside still waters. Jesus is our refreshing. Who went to the conference? Yep. Okay, cool. I went too. Three days of Auckland traffic. Three days of trying to get in and out of the venue that took at least 15 minutes each time. I'm talking to pastor about praying harder, about, you know, freeing up the traffic for us good guys to get there. Didn't seem to work this time. Bumper to bumper traffic. You know, one of the things about conference, and this is just an aside, but you're driving down the motor and I say to my wife, oh, why did you let that one in? <laughs> get closer. That's just me in motorways. It's all right. I know it's only me. No one else does that here. Anyway, the point I want to make is we get to the conference and all these people are smiling. The car park people are smiling. The people who are in line are smiling. And people let you in. They just stop and go, I want to have Christian conferences every day that I have to go to Auckland. And I want only Christians to be driving around me on the motorway so that they go. But that's an aside. The point was, despite all of that, despite all of the issues and the traffic and the things that I personally despise about the big city, I came back refreshed. How does that work? How do I go down there in this environment that I really am not keen on and I come back refreshed? The fact is that Jesus is my refreshing. At the conference, I was filled up and I needed to pour out. The fact is that, you know, we don't get filled up for our own good. We're blessed to be a blessing. So when we get that information, when we get that download, when we get that refreshing, it's time to pass it on. It's time to give it out. And, and that refreshing is a refreshing that only Jesus can bring us through his Holy Spirit. You notice in that scripture, it says, he leadeth me beside still waters. The waters are calm. 
there's a peace. Jesus said, my peace I leave with you. It's, it's not a peace of the world. It's a peace of Jesus. He left that peace with us that we might enjoy it. And the waters are still. It's a picture of calm. It's a picture of, of peace, of being at peace. And I want to point out to you that within the Scriptures, the Holy Spirit is often a type of water is a type of the Holy Spirit. Water often is, is a picture of the Holy Spirit. When Jesus said, when David wrote, he leadeth me beside still waters, the still waters for us is a picture of the Holy Spirit in our lives. He restoreth my soul. Friends, Jesus is a healer and a restorer. We know that. Whether you need physical healing, perhaps healing for a relationship, marriage, restoration of family ties, some other part of your life that's just not as it should be, if that's you, then I have some great news for you. The solution is as close as a prayer of faith away. His word says, the fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And that's a promise. It's not something he, he said because he had nothing else to say. It's a promise of God. Today I pray, Lord, I pray today we thank you that you are the restorer, the healer. We pray that we can know that when we put our faith in you, when we declare your lordship in our lives, you by your amazing grace restore our souls. Lord, I pray right now and I claim the promise of restoration. No matter the need, Lord, I pray that you meet it this morning. Lord, for every person fervently seeking your restoring power through prayer this morning, in Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. You know, he leadeth me in the paths of righteousness. Jesus is our guide. Psalm 119 verse 105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. You know, I used to read the scripture and think, what the heck is that about? You know, why can't you just be a light or a lamp? Why have we got two of these things? Surely they both do the same thing. The fact is they don't. The fact is that the lamp shows you the next step. In the old days, they'd have a lamp and it would be tied to their foot, tied to their shoe, and they could walk and it would illuminate around them. So as they walked down the path, they could see snakes or whatever that, that might be alongside the path. And the light shone much brighter, went much further. You know, when we stray from the path that God set for us through His Word and the prompting of the Holy Spirit within each of us, He leads us back. We just need to follow the prompting. Amen? Amen. First John 1 and verse 7 tells us, If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. And Jesus himself said, these are the words of our Lord, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Church, darkness and light cannot coexist in the same space. They cannot be in the same space. The smallest, dimmest candle will cause darkness to flee. Let the light of the Lord shine in your life. The enemy can't exist. You can't have power in your life when you're being the light of Christ. Pastor John Hagee, uh, one of my favorite preachers, by the way, and an advocate for um, Christians United for Israel, 
He wrote, we are indeed the light of the world, but only if our switch is turned on. Is your switch turned on? Or is your switch turned off? For his namesake, Jesus is our purpose. He's the reason and purpose for our living. I recall a song by Elvis Presley, which was a takeoff of another song that went something like this. He is my reason for living. He is the king of all kings. I long to be his possession. He is my everything. And they still don't ask me to come into praise and worship. Seriously. Seriously. I've, I've sung twice and waited for the invitation. But seriously, who are you living for today? Is he who you are truly living for? You know, the often quoted scripture of Jeremiah 29, 11 tells us that God has a purpose for each of us, personal and specific, a plan to give us a hope and a future. Alistair Begg, um, a, a prominent Christian author and pastor, wrote, there is no one who is insignificant in the purpose of God. You, individually, personally, every single person seated in this room is significant in God's eyes. And you are an essential part of His plan and His purpose, not just for you, but for the kingdom. We all have a kingdom purpose. You know, today, too many Christians seek a relationship with Jesus on Sunday and then dance with the devil Monday to Saturday. And Jesus waits. He waits patiently. He waits faithfully. He's ever-present, ever-loving. Mother's Day next week, and you will relate to this, mothers who have teenagers. Jesus sometimes reminds me of a mum sitting up late at night waiting for that errant teenager to come home, sitting and waiting, lovingly, caringly, hoping that they will return safe and sound. Jesus longs for fellowship with you in the same way that a mother waits for that errant teenager after their curfew hour. Remember, he died that we might live. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, oh Lord, Jesus is our refiner, taking us through the fire and the testing. These are the bits we might not be too keen on, people, but listen up. They're probably the most important bits. You know, no one said being a follower of Christ was going to be easy. You don't become a Christian and all of your problems disappear. You're suddenly floating on a cloud playing a harp on earth. No, no. That's not what being a Christian is about. It's not even close. Psalm 66 and verse 10 tells us, For you, O God, have tested us. You have refined us as silver is refined. And again in Malachi 3 and verse 3, He sits as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi, that's you and I, and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness. You know, refining precious metals is a process that involves significant heat being applied. And the purpose of the heat 
is to cause the dross, the non-precious stuff, the stuff that doesn't matter, the ugly stuff, to rise to the surface where it can be removed. And, you know, sometimes the same process is evident in our lives. We undergo trials and tests, and they happen to all of us from time to time. And during these times, we can often see things that aren't pleasing to God appear. Maybe I'll throw a few out there and see if you relate to any of them. I relate to all of them. Anger, judgment, criticism, attitudes, behaviors, thoughts, ungodly actions. The list goes on. More often than not, they're not of our own, they are of our own making and are the result of not walking in His will and His way, of following our own path based on our wants, our desires, our plans. And despite this, His Word tells us that He sits as a refiner, wanting only the best for us through His Holy Spirit, enabling and empowering us to overcome. You know, the refiners of the Old Testament knew when a precious metal was perfected. They had to know that. Their life depended on it. And how did they know? Well, the answer is really simple. And again, it highlights for us the way in which God's inspired word can strengthen our relationship with him. We've just got to go to it. We've just got to dwell in it. When the refiner could see himself, could see his image reflected in the silver, he knew the process was completed. The refining and the testing was over. The non-precious elements, the rubbish, the dross had been removed when the heat was applied. I know that sometimes, particularly in testing and trying times, my actions, my words, my thoughts, my attitudes can be as far from a mirror image of Jesus as you could get. But at these times, I remind myself that he is with me. Just as he was with three young Hebrew men in the fire, in the furnace, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego walked out of their fiery trial. The Bible tells us they didn't even smell of smoke. And so can we walk through our own trials, through faith in Him and His finished work, reliant, dependent, trusting, obedient, and most of all, faithful. Have faith that our Lord's got it. I will fear no evil. Jesus is our protector and our strength. Over 2,000 years ago, on a hill in Calvary, a place called Golgotha, Jesus Christ became your substitute and mine. He paid the ultimate price on our behalf to settle our sin debt, past, present, and future. In so doing, he conquered the enemy and ensured that he would live, we would live a victorious life, fighting from that place of victory. Not endeavoring to defeat the devil, Jesus already did that on our behalf, but fighting to reinforce the victory, reinforce the victory of our king in our lives that we may claim the promises through him, claim his victory. 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 20 says, For all the promises in him are yes and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. Through us. That's through us, his ambassadors. We're his disciples. And on this earth, we're his representatives. I don't know about you, but sometimes I don't look much like a representative of Jesus Christ. When I know what he looks like, and I know what he wants me to look like, I know that it's an ongoing work in progress. No message that speaks of fearing evil would be complete without reference to 2 Timothy 1 and verse 7. For God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, 
and of a sound mind. You see, fear is of the enemy. It's a key weapon in his armory by which he creates anxiety, then uncertainty, and ultimately unbelief. His only purpose, the enemy's only purpose, is to separate us from the love of God. 1 John verse 4 and 18 tells us, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. You know, speaking of a defeated enemy who continues to fight on, it reminds me of Hiro Onara. And everyone goes, oh, Hiro. Okay. Hiro Onara was a Japanese soldier assigned to the Pacific in 1943. In 1943, he took up his position in the Philippines, fighting against the Allied forces and the Americans. In 1945, the Japanese surrendered to General MacArthur and the Allied forces, and the war was over officially. Japan surrendered, the war was over. And despite dropping leaflets and trying all sorts of different things, Hiro Onada fought on. He didn't get the message, he didn't believe it. Despite all of the efforts of the Allied and of the Japanese forces, he fought on. And you might say, yeah, okay. He fought on for 29 years. From 1945 until 1974, he continued to fight a war in the jungles of the Philippines. All alone, his two other compatriots, one had died and the other had heard the message and surrendered. But he fought on. You know, for the next 20, 29 years, he waged his war against villages and police until in 1974, they convinced his commanding officer to come back to the Philippines and they broadcast the fact that the war was over, obviously in Japanese, through his commanding officer, who also said a number of things which Hiro Onada would have known could only come from his commanding officer. And he surrendered. He surrendered at that time. He laid down his arms, and for him, the war was finally over. As for our enemy, Satan, the war's not over. He continues to fight, and he will. He'll continue to fight until our Lord and Savior returns and finally disposes of him. You know, everything that he does, the seeds he sows of doubt and fear in our lives, they're all designed to separate us from our Lord and Savior. He will use all of the weapons at his disposal to destroy families. To kill our peace and our joy, to instill fear. And as I said, unlike Hiro Onada, he'll never surrender. Despite being a defeated foe and knowing it, he fights on. He'll continue with his weapons of mass destruction. Now, I'm not referring to North Korean nuclear threat. I'm not referring to the Syrian chemical threat. The enemy is much more subtle than that. I'm talking about television. I'm talking about movies. I'm talking about the internet. These are the enemy's weapons of mass destruction. You know, he adds to those things alcohol, drugs, Immorality, sex, pornography, probably the greatest destroyer of young men today. All designed to weaken your walk and draw you away from the king. 
from the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, from your Savior, from your Lord, from Jesus. Let me ask you a couple of questions. Please don't answer. I'm not, I want to embarrass anyone, but do you have a smartphone? Do you have a Bible app on your phone? Now think to yourself how much time you spent on your phone this week and how much time you spent in God's Word. How about when we compare our time on the net, Facebook, social media, with time spent in prayer and the Bible or spreading the gospel message? This is definitely not a message of condemnation, just an opportunity for reflection and reevaluation of your relationship with Him. It's all about you and Him. It's not about the pastor. It's not about the leaders. It's not about Church Unlimited. It's about you and your Savior, one-on-one. Reflect on it. Think about it. For thou art with me. Jesus is faithful. Hebrews 13 and 5 says, and it's a much quoted verse I'm sure we've all heard before, I will never leave you nor forsake you. But what of the first part of that verse? Does anyone know the first part of that verse? Does anyone remember it? It's actually the contractual part. You know, the part that says, if you do this, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And what does it say? It says, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have, for he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's telling you that all you need is Jesus. Don't look at all these other things. Just focus on him. You know, is it any wonder that God put onto David's heart the instruction not to covet? Not to covet that which others have when we recall that as King David coveted Bathsheba. He had her husband killed. He took her for himself and then paid the price. The death of the child born to him by Bathsheba. His actions displeased the Lord. And in 2 Samuel 11 and 27 it says, But the thing that David had done, taking Bathsheba and having her husband killed, displeased the Lord and his child died. Oh, and now the great news. The good news of the heart of God. The good news of forgiveness and redemption for David and for you and I. You see, Bathsheba and David had another son. And that son's name was Solomon. The wealthiest and wisest man that ever lived. Church, that's God's grace in action. You, you want an example of God's grace? That's it. Despite everything that David did, he blessed him with a son, the next king of Israel, who would leave us Proverbs, who would lead us those, those directions for our life that we can follow every single day, despite David's uh, lack. So God blessed him, and he demonstrated grace, undeserved, unmerited, unearned favor. You know, we're all called to live by faith. Faith is his finished work at the cross. That's what we have faith in. When Jesus cried out, it is finished. It was. And it still remains so. Nothing's changed. It was finished then and it remains finished now. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Jesus is disciplined. <laughs> we don't like that but much. <laughs> Discipline, this doesn't sound nice. Take heart. 
Be assured that when you stray from His will and His way, you'll know about it. Just as the shepherd used the staff to pull back the sheep, the straying sheep back into the flock, so the rod signifies correction and disciplining, a process that returns us to righteous living in His will. Psalm 89 and verse 32 says, Then I will punish their transgressions with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. Proverbs 13 and 24 says, He who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him promptly. Social message coming up, people. Somewhere along the way, our society has lost sense of what discipline is truly all about. I've got to tell you that Simply stated, discipline is about restoring balance. It's about establishing normality, and it's about defining boundaries. Praise God that He accepts that role in my life. And I just pray that He gives parents, grandparents, caregivers the strength, the courage, and the guidance to do the same for those in their care, those that need to know what boundaries are, those that need to have positive direction in their lives. That's your role. Knowing that He wants only the best for us and is willing to oversee our walk with Him is the ultimate comfort. He loves me, and so He disciplines me. Thou preparest a table for me in the presence of my enemy. Jesus is our hope. We can look to that time when the lion will lay down with the lamb. Our hope is in Him. You know, this verse is a picture of reconciliation. It's a picture of forgiveness. It's a picture of a lack of antipathy and hostility. It's a picture of a lack of anger, a picture of His perfect peace. The enemy will be defeated and the Lord will prepare this victory banquet for us. Your faith in Him is your sure and certain hope of eternal blessings of peace. You know, I remember a, um, an incident some years ago um, we were at home one morning, and um, Lorraine's sister rung up and said that her mother had been taken to hospital, and um, she was ill. And Lorraine said, well, you know, I've, I, I want to go down. I've, so she rings, she makes a booking, determines that we can fly up that morning at 9 o'clock, and so we race up to, to the airport, race up Quarry Road. We get there. She goes up to the counter, and they tell her, we can't see any of that on screen. She says, here's my booking number. You know, like I've, I've paid the money and, and it's here. Like I have to fly now. And they said, no, you know, like we can't do that. Unless we see that on the screen, we can't give you a ticket. We can't book you in. And we, we hadn't been Christians that long, I have to say. Um, and the... Um, What's so funny about that? And so the fleshy bit started to rise up. It was, you know, quite prominent. Um, and I was kind of, you know, starting to feel the temperature rising. I could see my wife was getting um, more than a little disconcerted. And, and she was starting to get anxious. And, you know, I turned away and went to the corner before... The fleshy bit overcame, and me and the gentleman had a polite discussion. And I stood in the corner, and I began to pray. And I began to pray in the Spirit, and I began to pray fervently. 
And then probably two, three minutes, four minutes, I heard them say, okay, you know, boarding the plane. And I'm thinking, do I turn around and just deal to this thing or what am I going to do? And I just kept praying. And then my wife came over and tapped me on the shoulder and said, I've got to go. And I thought, where the heck are you going? <laughs> you haven't got a boarding pass. And in fact, she did have a boarding pass. They had issued her a boarding pass. And then as I turned around and began to walk over to the counter, the gentleman came over to me and he said, look, I'm really sorry. You know, there's just nothing we can do. We can't give her a boarding pass. And she was walking to the plane. And I'm thinking, you either didn't see that happen or there's scales on your eyes. Head for straight street, Paul. That's where you need to be. The fact is that he continued to apologize. The, the plane took off. And he said to me, I'll come and see you afterwards. And he came over and he said to me, look, I'm really sorry. There's nothing I could do. I said, don't apologize. I understand. And when my wife got to Auckland, I was immediately on the phone saying, you're not going to believe what happened. He, he didn't even know that you had a boarding pass. You know, I don't know that that's a miracle, but it's supernatural. It's different. It's unnatural. So, you know, we just have to have faith sometimes. Well, I don't know how it works or why, but it did. Thou anointest my head with oil. Jesus is our consecration. The process of anointing with oil in this sense represents our consecration. The word consecrate means to be set apart or to be dedicated for a higher purpose in both a spiritual and physical sense. In Webster's Dictionary, it's explained the following way. It says, reflect on your motives, repent, to separate yourself from the evils of the world, draw closer to God, and dedicate yourself to Him. My cup runneth over. Jesus is our abundance. In Corinthians 9 and verse 8, the Apostle Paul writes, And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. So what he's saying here is if you have a need, he has the supply. You got a problem? He's got a solution. Need health? He's a healer. Need restoration? He's a restorer. You need support, comfort, peace, consolation. He's the army of one who will be there for you every single time. The thief comes to kill, to steal and destroy. Jesus said he came that we may have life and have it more abundance, abundantly. Abundance is the currency of heaven. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Jesus is blessing and promise. To be assured of God's promise and mercy all the days of your life is the ultimate prize. And remember, this is God's goodness and mercy, not ours. The same way that the words are disappearing off my page, the same way that same way mercy and goodness that saw Jesus give his life for you and me on the cross the same mercy and goodness that raised Lazarus from the dead healed the sick made the blind to see the deaf to hear and the lame to walk he paid the ultimate price to conquer sin and death 
as I bring this waka back to shore and the worship team come and I will dwell in the house of the Lord. Church, Jesus is our security. You know, so many people spend their whole lives endeavoring to create, buy or have their own house, their space, the, place, the space where they will dwell. In meditating on this verse, I found that the word dwell in the original Hebrew places a great deal of significance not on a structure, but on being set apart. Not just somewhere to live, but a heart attitude. Abiding in His Word. A way of living. A way of living your life, of being set apart for the purpose of His house. I don't know about you, but I want to be set apart to live through His Spirit that dwells in me. You see, that's dwelling in His house. Actually, being the temple of the Lord where His glory can shine out in an increasingly dark world. Church, God's house is right here. It's not the building. I'm looking at it. It's faces, it's hearts, it's hands, it's feet. It's you and I. It's that place where the Holy Spirit resides and dwells. He abides in us. God's Word says, whoever confesses Jesus as the Son of God abides in Him and He in God. Forever. You know, Jesus is eternal. The promises of God are eternal. Our lives, having committed them to the Lordship of Christ, are eternal. It's been said that the unsaved know only a hopeless end. But every Christian, every person who's given their heart to the Lord knows an endless hope. And that's the picture. A hopeless end or an endless hope. Jesus is our eternal hope. You know, Billy Graham once said, I've read the last page of the Bible and it's all going to turn out all right. The fact is, Billy Graham got this one wrong. Can I say Billy Graham got something wrong, Pastor? Oh, okay. The fact is, Billy Graham got this one wrong. You see, all right can never be considered even an adequate description of our eternal future. All right just doesn't cut it. All right's not what God has prepared for us. All right is mediocre. All right is just okay. And I'm afraid I don't have a God of okay. My, my sincerest apologies to Billy, but our God, his God and my God, same God, is a God of abundance, a God of mighty works. In addition, whether the last page turns out all right has some conditions. It's dependent on you, on the choices you make on this earth. It's about the now decision. You know, you need to know that it's not going to turn out well for everyone. Not a popular message, but it's the truth. Know the truth, it's going to set you free. And that's why we as a church continually pray for the unsaved. We particularly pray for our loved ones, whānau, friends, neighbours. That's why the primary reason Church Unlimited exists is to reach the lost, to bring life to the dead and dying, to spread light in a dark world. Can we all stand together? You know, heaven is the home of those who have sought and accepted the gift of eternal life 
through faith in Jesus Christ and His finished work at the cross. Evangelist Reinhard Bonnke asks this question at every meeting. And I want to ask you this morning. If you were to die tonight, where would you spend eternity? Church, if you don't know the answer to that question, if you can't say with all certainty that heaven with our Lord will be your home, then I'm speaking directly to you personally. And I pray that the Holy Spirit is stirring in your heart right now. I pray that you know that your uncertainty is a call to salvation. Let's all bow our heads and close our eyes. I pray that you know that uncertainty is unacceptable. Today you need to leave this place knowing of your eternal future, knowing that it is guaranteed through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. And this morning, if you're feeling a little warmer, getting a little fidgety, feeling a little anxious about the words that are, that are being spoken, then that's the call of the Holy Spirit on your life. He wants you to know. He wants you to know that it's not okay. He wants you to know Jesus. You know, what? don't worry about what others will think. That's the enemy tactic of fear. We spoke about that. It's not what anyone might think. It's what Jesus knows. That matters. And when you raise your hand, when you commit to walking with Him, you reinforce the victory of the cross, reinforce the promise in 1 John, that perfect love casts out fear.